This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Monday, January 9th. Thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. Jesperson and Hicks with you. Johnny, you got your... uh your mic pushed away from you, and I and I, and I was going to ask you how Protesting. your weekend went, but I but I wondered, <laughs> I wondered if maybe that was a sign of how good your weekend was that you're just uh, not making yourself available. On court the, low uh, today. Court yeah. low. Yeah. 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 We, court we low. Had a that's good time. Right. We did have a great time. We hung Still out. Still feeling some, the effects. Are you from yeah. Saturday's Oilers game? Yeah. So yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah. You and I hit the town yeah. uh, with a couple of good friends. Our pals at Apex Automation mm-hmm. had a great time. It was mm-hmm. nice to be there at the rink. Although uh, good game. Uh, tough loss. Yeah. Tough yeah. loss in overtime real close yeah yeah the 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 avalanche the star defenseman some are saying the best since bobby Orr, kill mccarr ending that thing in overtime and uh and sending home uh, you know oilers fans with a with a reminder of the stick to itiveness uh (laughs) that that uh earned the colorado colorado avalanche that stanley cup yeah uh, just last year another lead eh we just up to nothing and then bang bang in the third and then such a good game yeah and then oh no we're going to overtime and i said to you i said i'm gonna go go to the bathroom quickly you're like you can't i said you can't go to the bathroom overtime overtime starting starting. i'm like it'll be fine and then as i'm in the bathroom i hear in there for like 40 minutes there like two minutes but yeah i heard the whole thing end but yeah yeah we, well we got a jam-packed show today i'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it uh sheila north's gonna join us in just a moment she's just back um uh former grand chief out of uh, manitoba and uh cbc radio personality a journalist i mean she's done a ton of stuff uh sheila's a great storyteller so i'm curious to see um how she'll recount her family's experience they were among the the many canadians that were down in mazatland you see this story of the, the arrest yeah, of a, a high-ranking yeah. uh, drug mm-hmm. cartel leader in mexico prompted violence between uh the cartels and and uh, law enforcement and obviously it was an unnerving situation for uh many of the canadians the traveler i mean unnerving for everybody obviously but for people that are down there on vacation that all of a sudden you know see helicopters uh, you know through the skies and plumes of smoke and uh, a pretty wild experience she's just back she flew back i believe on sunday i believe she flew back yesterday or late saturday so so we'll get the story from her um sheila's also been doing a ton of work over the course of her career on uh, on drawing public attention through her work as a journalist and otherwise as as an advocate uh, when it comes to missing and murdered women and, and uh, in particular the city of Winnipeg has obviously had this forefront uh, and and front of mind and so we'll talk to her about that Charles Adler will join us there's there's a few things that I want to get into with Chuck uh, including uh, a piece in the Globe and Mail over the weekend it, it kind of piggybacks on what Sapria Devetti and I were talking about in last week's episode of Seriously. Marie Wolf uh, writes, Pierre Polyev must do more to win over women voters, including pressing the anger button less often. Now, obviously, the anger button is what you can press to get a whole bunch of people very passionate and excited about your cause, how you can sell memberships and win leadership races. Can you win an election by pressing that same anger button as frequently we see what charles has to say about this plus the story out of lethbridge a dangerous offender uh, released back into the general public and and police have issued a a press release a news release and and these things just drive me absolutely crazy and so i'm curious to pick charles brain on that and yours as well and then we'll wrap up the show today with dr nicolette little she's a media and technology professor and she's been doing some work she's just released a paper on social media ghosts 
on the Facebook memories that pop up. And she says that the the, the entire way, and she'll make the argument on the show, not me, we'll pick her brain on it. I'm, I'm curious to know how it wound up on her radar. But the algorithms in social media, she says, designed from a certain bias that make life especially difficult for survivors of gender-based violence, of domestic violence. It's something I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to talk about. And that's coming up a little bit later on in the show, say 30, 40 minutes from now. Uh, Positive Reflections by Kubi Energy coming up later on in the show. And and this is going to be a good one, John. This is the story of a father's love for his daughter. And it was submitted by a real talker. Tina wrote in and she said, I don't know if this story was on your radar or not. It wasn't. And so I'm glad that Tina shared it with us. And uh, I think it's going to warm your heart it's 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 really really wonderful stuff and uh and positive reflections every monday uh, our opportunity to to find the silver linings and, and to restore our faith in humanity of course sheila ready to rock johnny should we get into that all right here we go um she's she's uh been grand chief of of manitoba kiwatanoi okimakunak uh up until 2018 recognized in particular for her bridge building efforts between indigenous and non-indigenous communities. She's been an anchor and a journalist, a a professional storyteller at CBC Manitoba. And and she's also done a ton of political commentary as well. She served prior to that as a chief communication officer at the assembly for Manitoba chiefs. So put it this way, she's a master storyteller and and Sheila North kind enough to join us here on the show. uh, What sounds like just hours after returning from Mazatlan, Mexico. Thank you so much for making time for us and, and, and welcome to Real Talk. It's nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you, you're you're just back from Mazatlan, what, like within the last day or so, right? Yeah, we got back uh, close to midnight uh, Sunday morning, I guess. So Saturday night into Sunday morning, and I'm 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 am following. People can follow you on Twitter, and and they'll see you at Sheila or at the Sheila North. I mean, you you're sharing these videos and everything, and it looks like for for the most part, you guys were having having a heck of a time down there, like you would expect to in Mazatlan. Everything's perfect. The weather's beautiful. The beach is beautiful. At, at what point did you know that something was up? That something was going wrong around you? Our second last day there. Uh, we were there for a week, and uh, we got there Friday before, just before um, New Year's. And uh, our last excursion was Thursday, and that's when we got up early to get to our destination, an island across the, um, the, the, the way from the city. And as we were going towards the island, the music was playing. It was beautiful sun and nice breeze, happy people. And then you look behind us. And look at the mainland, there was plumes of smoke, big black plumes of smoke on one side and then on, on another side, other smoke. Um, and so it was a curious scene. I thought it was a tire fire, um, but the staff didn't really say anything about what was going on. I think they were unsure as well. But when we got to the island and spent the uh, morning there up until uh, after lunch, the fires were still burning. They seemed to be burning the whole time we were there and the whole time we were going back. So the staff, again, didn't want to say anything. And uh, people started messaging me from home here, asking me if we were okay and what was going on. And that's when we started looking on social media about what was happening. And there it was, um, just close by to where we were, relatively close. Um, there was this big situation with uh the else chapo's son being captured and then the retaliation yeah obviously unnerving was there was there chatter among hotel guests like did communication improve at at some point once everybody started to get a better sense of what was going on 
we kind of had to look ourselves on on what we were able to get on social media through our phones. And then when we got to the hotel, I think there felt definitely a different mood and a sense of tension in the hotel. It was a, it's a large hotel. And uh, there was a lot of people in the lobby this time, people sleeping, people having like cup of noodles on the floor and things like that. So I think these people were the ones whose flight were canceled and had to come there or were moved there, but they didn't have any rooms for them. So they were um, filling the lobby. And then the restaurants that we all uh, went to in the evening, you know, they weren't packed. You could go there relatively easily because it's large, large rooms. And um, this time they were, there were long, long lineups. So people were hunkering in, staying in. The staff didn't really tell you to stay in, but they kind of suggested you should. And so we did because uh, locals were telling us there was potential that the power could be cut uh, to the hotel um, so it could get dark and the food might not get served after a while. And so we really weren't sure what was going to happen. And having a two-year-old traveling with us, my grandson, it was very unnerving. Yeah, no kidding. So did you end up uh, sort of, you know, fast forwarding your departure date? Was this, was this something where you got out of there ahead of schedule? What, what was involved in that? No, we were actually delayed by a day. Uh, we were supposed to leave on a Friday, uh, last Friday. And then um, I kept checking the app and everything seemed okay. Right up until 5 a.m. when I checked the app, there was a big notice from Sunwing that said, that due to closures and airport closures and roadblocks, um, all flights were canceled for that day and that uh, our, our flight was changed to the next day. And then I called a 1-800 number and uh, they didn't really have much more information than what I read. And so she referred me to go downstairs to talk to the Sunwing reps there. I did and they didn't have a lot more info except to say that we can stay in the hotel and then, you know, checked again later. They said we were moved back another day. So it was a little bit back and forth. But finally, on Saturday morning, I went back downstairs to see if there were any more latest updates. And they said we were leaving. So we had to um, pack really fast and get down there and get on the bus. Huh. Um, Edgar Gonzalez, the, the mayor of Mazatlan, has has uh, been speaking out here and, and reassuring tourists that, that it's safe to travel there, that it's safe to visit amid this uh, cartel violence. I know that oftentimes, obviously, that, you know, typically travelers in these resorts do feel somewhat insulated from some of the realities that can happen here. Is it, is, is it the type of place you'd go back to overall? How would you characterize the experience? What do you make of the mayor's comments encouraging people? I mean, it's a tough sell right now. If I'm you know, set to depart yeah. to, to Mazatlan this morning, I'm not sure I'm going. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm mixed on that. Of course, I would never advise anyone to go because then it would be on me if something happened to right. them, right? But for me, I would go I, again. I wouldn't take my two-year-old grandson this time, though, and maybe not anyone else or my loved ones. But uh, if I had to, I mean, I wouldn't go there right now for a vacation again. But, you know, if something, for some reason I had to be there, I would, I would go. Um, it's a beautiful place, and people should experience the beauty and the hospitality of the area. Um, and I hope that things settle down enough that uh, people feel safe to go, because it would be a waste and um, 
a wasted opportunity to never see that part of the world again because so many people, happy people were there. And, you know, there was mixed, mixed opinions too from people that were there saying that media has this all hyped up, that scaring mm. people and things like that. And we always have those kind of, you know, that kind of talk among people. So, but having been there, I know anything could have happened. And now that we're out of there, it's easy to say, ah, you know, it's mm. a big hype. But, um, you know, I, I, I know for sure that we came out in the best scenario and but anything could have happened. So I, I would, for myself, I would strongly consider going back, but I would never advise anyone that they'd have to assess that on their own. Yeah, well said. Uh, Sheila North, our guest. Uh, before I let you go, Sheila, I want to I take an opportunity. It's, it's a hard swerve in subject matter. Um, has nothing to do with your trip to Mexico. But, but as mentioned, I, I believe you originated the MMIW, the Missing Emerging Indigenous Women hashtag on Twitter. This is something that, that you've been, uh, you know, I mean, obviously fiercely advocating for more public awareness and action on this, uh, both as a journalist and as a, as, as a community activist. Um, the, the story out of Winnipeg, has has been just heartbreaking and infuriating uh, a man facing four first degree murder charges um, and uh, and obviously police uh, looking to conduct investigations there have been demonstrations around the prairie green landfill uh, where where family members and advocates have been demanding a search be conducted and and I know that this is something that that uh, time is of the essence I, I'm, I wanted to ask you where you're at on this what you wish more people were talking about and and what you'd like to see that the window the time window here is closing on this one. Um, experts are saying that something needs to happen within the next week or so. Um, what would you like the public to be focusing on on this story? Um, having seen and heard some of the conversations behind the scenes about what uh, the, the decisions have, you know, have been contemplated on about this, I would say that um, there was a lot of well-intentioned and well-educated and and directly impacted people among those circles that are trying to push for, um, you know, justice. That's basically what it is, no matter how you look at it. These families, the families of these women want justice. They don't feel that, um, that their loved ones should be left where they're presumed to be. And nobody would want that. I think we have to relay that back to our own families. How would you feel if your own family member was presumed to be in a big garbage dump, yeah. it wouldn't go right. And I have a friend whose sister is presumed to be in the Brady Road landfill um, from nine, 2019, I believe it's 2009, sorry, um, Tanya Nipinak. And I know how that impacted the whole family and her family. And I can't imagine having to think my loved one is in that Brady Road landfill. So I think the public needs to understand and be um, be helpful when they can, and especially in conversations when they're um, they're talking about this, and not to be so cynical. And if they are, I mean, there's a lot of people that care. I would say more people care than not. And to remember, these are real human beings that we're talking about. And um, there are, of course, different people that have different ideas on how to go about doing the search and there's experts involved. Um, there is a lot of um, hard, tense talks happening, um, but I'm glad that they're happening. I'm glad that people are flushing it out and keeping each other accountable 
and pushing each other to do their best, um, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. Um, this is not an Indigenous problem. This is a Canadian problem. And we all have some role in ending the violence against Indigenous women and girls and two-spirited people and, and in Indigenous people in general. So, you know, I, as you mentioned, I, I created the hashtag MMIW and um, I, I feel, I don't know, mixed emotions sometimes about that because um, it's a sad subject. I wish that we didn't have to talk about it anymore, but I'm glad that we're all connected in some way to be able to talk about it. So I'm, um, I'm grateful that we're talking about it still. Well said, and we're grateful to have your voice on the show. Thanks so much uh, for making time for us uh, so recently after returning home. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And sorry about the video lag. I don't know what that. No, it's fine. <laughs> Most people will hear it on the podcast anyway. And and the good news is, Sheila, you know, sometimes with these video lags, you know, you can get get caught in really unfortunate screen oh, grabs. Right. But but it's it's just been great shot after great shot. And so you're doing something right, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay well, a, take care Thank yeah you, all. you as well nice to talk to you that's former grand chief sheila north uh joining us out of manitoba of course yeah police saying they believe the the remains of morgan harris and mercedes myron are at that prairie green landfill that's a story we'll continue to cover it's it's obviously a brutal one uh, out of the city of winnipeg the city from which our next guest hails charles adler in just a moment these conversations happen because of sponsors like our friends at park power your friendly local utilities provider if you're living anywhere in the province of alberta right now and you're navigating higher utility costs through the winter months in particular electricity and natural gas it's a great day to take two minutes to go to parkpower.ca and compare rates see what you could be paying with park power they would almost guarantee it's going to be less than what you're paying right now almost guaranteed at Park Power. Well, how can they make that guarantee? Well, because they know a couple of things. You know, they know, for example, that that if you're on a regulated rate or variable rate with another provider, that you may be paying more than double what you need to. Park Power's current fixed electricity rate plans almost half the cost of a regulated rate option. And here's the best part. You don't have to worry about being locked into a contract. When you choose a fixed rate plan, it also gives you the freedom to switch rates or cancel anytime for free you can learn more online at parkpower.ca our friends at Friesen brothers want to thank everybody that turned out for those ukrainian christmas dinners on saturday and sunday what a wonderful celebration it was of course they're going seven days a week at their 16 alberta locations with alberta grown alberta owned approach to great food Really great food matters at Friesen Brothers. It's what they built that business on more than 65 years ago. You can check them out online at Friesen.com. Get some recipe inspiration. Of course, they've got some great healthy living initiatives as well. And circle the first of your month on the calendar. February 1st is the next day. You'll take 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more at Friesen Brothers. And if you're planning on turning over a new leaf, maybe literally in your front or backyard, you're looking to really improve your outdoor living situation. We're talking family time around a campfire, maybe cooking, maybe that brand new pizza oven you've always dreamed of having on a perhaps a perfectly designed stone patio, maybe a water feature, whatever it is, bring your outdoor space to life with Eden Landscaping, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on the ground experience 
in Edmonton and area. You can browse their portfolio, check out their services. It can be sexy stuff like those kitchens outdoor or maybe the non-sexy stuff like excavation or retaining walls. Whatever you need, they can do it at Eden Landscaping. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Monday means the titan of talk, Emmy Award-winning talk legend Charles Adler right here on Real Talk. It's a great way for us to start the week. And, of course, we always look forward to getting your take on the stories that are making news. Charles, uh, how was your weekend? You have a good one? I'm uh, working on it, uh, working on the on the brim because oh, that was the yes. chief criticism, and a bunch of people emailed me about it, saying that yeah. I really don't know how to. So how how is this a little better? Well, uh, Johnny's kind of like uh, Johnny's a little, like the style guy here on the team, and 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 yeah. we debated because after your yeah, I don't remember what the specific. It was like that your 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 real talk Ryan Jesperson snap back cap brim was was is folded in too much of a V. Yeah. Not enough, not enough, not enough curve. It wasn't like it didn't have. It came, it came that way, and I just, you know, you, you guys sent it to me, and I just, I just put it on. I didn't, I didn't adjust it, so it just. What do you mean it, it came that way? It came all mangled. No, it just, it, it just had, it just was like that. Oh, that's so I just not put good. it on we, the way we, it came. We got to be, we got we'll to talk to our merch. Department We're gonna have to talk that. to our yeah. merch department. Yeah. yeah, because they're supposed to be shipped flat brim. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm Quality sorry, sorry. Yeah, it was, it was like this. Yes, it was no. like this. Oh, so just, no. Okay, good. Because you just, because yeah, you just, you yeah. just about sewered our entire merch team. Well, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. So it was, so it was it, absolutely flat, and I just put it on. Great. And I didn't pay much. I just put it on, and I guess, I guess I didn't. Uh, but that's do enough, what the uh, that's what the kids adjustment. are doing these. Uh, although I don't know if that's what the kids yeah. are doing anymore. But the flat brim is is kind of like the, the, it's what you wanted. It's it's the style you want, Chuck. The flat brim. But the kids. Oh, I see. I should I shouldn't have messed with it then. Well, you, you never know though. The, the the worst thing you can do, also arguably as well, is just try to look like you're trying to look like one of the kids, right? So <laughs> gotcha. I always that's you mean one of these things. Yeah, there you go. Have you ever? I like that. Like that. You ever done an interview with the? You, you, do you rock the backwards cap? I, uh, I I wore a backwards cap for a while, uh, and um, people said because you know people criticize no matter what you do, and so people told me that I wore it when I was wearing it that I was um, what the hell was it I was I was inspiring gang violence. Oh, geez. it was code that I, I wanted to support uh, I, I don't gang think, bangers. Yeah, I'm not sure that I, I don't think that you need to worry about feedback like that. Is that true, Charles? People have been, <laughs> is that people have been critical of you from time to time? I didn't know. I get, that. I, I, oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, that's why the replies box is, is shut uh, much of the time, because if I keep the replies box open, I get told like there's a there's a crowd that they've got their their talking points. I'm talking about the right wing nut job. So what talking point number one is uh, that I'm a, I'm a communist. Um, talking, uh, talking point number two is that I'm paid uh, by, by Trudeau. Yeah. Uh, and talking point number three is that I'm irrelevant. Oh. I wish I, w- I wish I were irrelevant to them because if I were irrelevant, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be hassled like all, all the time. Well, so, that was one of anyway. my favorite tweets from last week when yeah. somebody, somebody came at you with a flamethrower and said, uh, Char- Charles Adler is totally irrelevant. And when he's yeah. on real talk every Monday, all him and right. Jesperson do is pump each other's tires. And I thought that's a beautiful, <laughs> that's a beautiful kind of irrelevance where somebody watches and listens to you every single week on your media appearances. That's, the I, best. you know, I, the thing is that I'm trying to figure out, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're both. Not necessarily experts, but we, we understand a little bit about politics, inside politics sure. and outside retail, wholesale and all. We, we understand that it's a business. I'm trying to figure out how it's to the advantage of the right to be seen on social media as constantly being supported by idiots. I mean, what, 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 what is the advantage of being seen as 
you know, the, the goon party, the stupid party. What, what, I, I just I don't get it. If I were starting a political party with, with you, Ryan Jesperson, and any of my other friends, that's not the crowd that I'd be going for. And especially if you were the conservative crowd, because if you're the conservative crowd, you're supposed to be more cerebral. You're supposed to be more thoughtful. Uh, so I, I don't I, I don't know what I don't know what this I don't I don't understand their strategy is my point. Well, I guess. Yeah. And, and we've been talking about this, the, the, the trend for a while where it seems like a lot of folks motivation is to to like own other people. Right. To like to, <laughs> to, to like tee them up and and smack them down. And and it's sort of what politics has become. Um, I wanted yeah. to ask you about this. It was, it was an interesting piece in The Globe. Uh, yeah. Marie Wolf It's is just out this morning. Pierre Polyev reads the headline must do more to win over women voters, including yeah. pressing the anger button less often. Well, the thing I'm talking about is precisely what turns women voters off. And and, and the, the comeback from uh, women conservatives is always the same. Charles, you don't speak for us. I'm not trying to speak for you. I'm just trying to be a thoughtful person based on everything that I've seen in my life. If you're just pushing the aggression button all the time, if you're just wanting to own people all the time, if you just want to do MMF, what is what are the letters? MMF, talk about ultimate uh, ultimate wrestling. But oh, mixed, oh mixed martial MMA, arts, MMA, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, MMA. I'm sorry. Okay, so if if you're just doing MMA all the time, like MMA, yes, MMA has appeal to to some women. There's no question about it. And if you add up all the women that are attracted to MMA, it it adds up to a lot of people. But in percentage terms. It's mainly a guy thing. Mm. Doing all the things that uh, the the Polyev crew are doing these days and all of their various acolytes, they're doing mostly guy things, turns off women. And yes, uh, the Globe and Mail piece, and I I did the same a a, a few weeks ago based on the the polling data I saw, I have never seen such a gender gap. I mean, the the, the negatives that Polyev has with women are sky high. You just can't win. You can't even win a, a minority government. And I understand you can you can win most of Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba. I, I get it. And I love Manitoba. I love Saskatchewan. I love it. It has nothing to do with my heart. I live in Canada, and I'm looking at the Canadian market. And in the Canadian market, if you cannot get a substantial number of votes in what we call the three metros, the three metros are Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. If you're a loser, in those cities and the suburbs of those cities, you lose. And you can blame Trudeau, you can blame the media, you can blame the CBC, you can do dog whistling all day long, you can fill my replies box with all kinds of manure. It doesn't change anything. Unless Polyev figures out that this isn't mixed martial arts, that this is something uh, a a little more nuanced than that, um, there's no chance. Yeah, I mean, to, to put it into perspective here, and again, like we're going to be talking a lot about polling over the next while, uh, in particularly in the context of a, of a looming provincial election here in Alberta as well, but but federal polling, a recent Nanos poll conducted for the Globe and Mail showed that um, in talking to women, uh, when it comes to support from women for Pierre Polyev, just 22% of women polled think the Tories should hang on to Pierre Polyev until the next election. One in five, yeah. uh, which isn't exactly a ringing endorsement. There's, I, I, I just, I just threw the brakes on. I was about to say, there's no way we see another. Con- there's no way we're going to see another conservative leader ahead of the next election. I mean, maybe I should check myself because crazier things have happened in politics. But I yeah. really, really <laughs> doubt it. I really I, yeah. doubt it. I don't. For, for the, one of the reasons they won't shop him before the next election is I, I want to always give the devil his due. He is tremendous at fundraising because the intensity with guys is as high as it is. They give more money. There's more money being given to the conservative party under Pierre Polyev 
as there was on, with, with Aaron O'Toole or Andrew Shear. And if Jean Charest had become the leader, which in my opinion would have been a, a smart move for them because Jean Charest actually has a chance at winning votes in the three metros, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but Jean Charest would not have attracted as much money because he doesn't push the mu- buttons the way Polyev does. And Polyev does know how to push the buttons of those people who are likely to donate money uh, to the CPC. So he is a a, a strong fundraiser. Yeah, and, and and strong in a lot of things, to be honest. Like I, I you know, I've been. He, he's a strong communicator as well. Uh, I think he's he's strong in opposition. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, this is just. I thought it was an interesting piece. I wanted to pick your brain on it. Like, y- I think the point counterpoint on this would be also that he's bringing in a lot of new support and he has strong support, particularly with with younger men. Yep. And you Absolutely. wonder, if, you know, if you can get them out to vote you wonder if that kind of maybe offsets some of the votes you might be turning off i mean only time will tell in 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 my real life you know away from the microphone away from twitter away from all of this i have mostly conservative friends and they are always telling me that they are surprised at how much their sons are pro-conservative you know they're conservative they just vote conservative for the same reason that many other people do they don't like the liberals they don't like trudeau whatever 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 but they're not enthusiastically voting conservative but their sons can hardly wait to vote so that is a you know we're we're, we're looking for the the positives on polyev he is tapping into a youth vote that uh, trudeau certainly isn't tapping into and, and ironically Jagmeet Singh isn't. And, and that is, to me, an interesting you know piece of political science work that, that's going on out there. The NDP is not nearly as strong at tapping into the youth vote as it used to be. And Polyev is, is gobbling up a lot of that. The, the, the youth, youth, men, youth men, not youth men and women. Now, if he did tap into both men and women at the younger demos, eight, ages 18 to 40, then I think Trudeau would really have a problem. But once again, it, 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 the, the gender gap is affecting Polyev. Can he, can he do things to change that? Absolutely he can. Yeah, the, the, the last thing in the world I would want anyone to do, anyone who's paying attention to politics, is to get complacent. Campaigns are meaningful. Uh, campaigns can change everything at the moment. Uh, Justin Trudeau is seen as much more athletic a campaigner than Pierre Polyev. But if liberals and the NDP want to be complacent, no way, Jose. If someone were to say to me, would you bet the ranch that Polyev will lose the next election? I certainly would not bet, bet the ranch. At, at some point, the conservatives come back because people get, simply get sick and tired of the status quo. They put the liberals in the penalty box and it might not matter who the leader is and it might not matter what we're talking about and what the polls are saying right now. Yeah, I wouldn't bet anything on the outcome of the next federal election. Not right now, anyway, that's for sure. Um, so every once in a while, you and I will just share a news link with one another. We'll, we'll share a link to a story and then that, that yeah. sort of implies that we'll talk about it on the coming Monday. Uh, Johnny mm-hmm. Wakefield does a great job for Post Media. His, his piece in the Edmonton Journal uh, um, highlighting the fact that Alberta's Premier Danielle Smith, uh, her office refusing to confirm whether or not she took action as she suggested she might, seeking a second opinion in a controversial COVID vaccine transplant case. Uh, you can read all about it, of course, at edmontonjournal.com. A lady by the name of Annette Lewis has lost two court bids uh, to be reinstated to an organ transplant list. She's waiting for an organ transplant, but she's refused to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Let me keep the question general. Why did you share the link with me? Why did why does this story jump out at you? I'm going to be honest. I'll share my opinion after you. 
I have really mixed feelings about this story, but why'd you share it with me? I didn't share the story with you, Ryan, because of the actual story. I, I shared the story with you because of the of the photo. And I don't know whether the Edmonton Journal or, you know, Post Media in Alberta, and I don't know why they'd be motivated to um, dirty up the, the photo of Danielle Smith. Once again, this is nothing new with my my politics. I'm obviously not, not on her side, but I'm certainly not on the side of people who want to make a person uh, look much less attractive than they are. And that is one of the worst photos I have ever seen of Danielle Smith. What and photo are you talking? Is, not the one I'm looking at. Not the one we see on the screen right now. This one? The, the, yeah, that, that one. What's she just, wrong with that? Well, she, she just looks a, a lot more tired. And frankly, uh, she looks a, a lot older. Um, that is that is not that is not a good photo. And I, if if, if you're telling me that you see it differently, that uh, oh, that's I mean, fine. I don't, I don't think it's you. a bad photo. I I think this happens all the time in in newspapers, in particular. I would say newspapers, but I think on okay. par, in partisan coverage, okay. obviously they look for the photo that makes their candidate or their preferred person look fabulous and makes that person's opponent look as as uh, hideous as possible. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like. I don't know. Getting caught. I, there's nothing worse than seeing a nasty I, photo I, of yourself. I think, I think Danielle, you know, once you know, nothing to do with my politics. It just This is just as real as it gets. We're doing real talk. Danielle Smith looks a lot better than that photo. Yeah. Uh, we can we can disagree about that. You, you've, you've had her on the show. Uh, you, you know her well. You know her uh, almost as well as I do. Uh, and you certainly have had her in the studio. Are you, are you seriously telling me that when you had Danielle Smith in the studio just a few weeks ago, that she didn't look a hell of a lot better than she does in that Edmonton oh, Journal photo. I mean, I don't know. It just feels like a weird conversation to have. Like, I don't know. I think she. I think that photo looks fine. Um, okay, but but let me ask you this. I want to ask you about the conver- about this. How do you feel? And and I honestly, my gut instinct when I read this story, Mike. How do you feel about someone being denied an organ transplant because they're not vaccinated? You just asked me a straight up opinion. Straight up opinion. Straight opinion. That's a, that's trash. That's not Canada. Yeah, that's not the Canada I love. I agree. And if if, if and I, I want people to be vaxxed. But if if we're now living in a country where you will be punished, life and death, not deprived of medical coverage because of your vaccination record, that's not the Canada I love. That's not the Canada I live in. And here it is for all those people who think I'm in bed with Justin Trudeau. If Justin Trudeau wants to support that, I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, if he supports that, I will support Pierre Polyev in the next election. That's a game changer for me. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's not my country. I'm not a convoy guy, but that's the kind of thing that gives the convoy moral authority. We cannot do that to people. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And I do. And I think that this is something I think it's I think it's a, a gray area and i think that it's the type of thing uh it's you know it's the type of story quite frankly that that uh demands a forum like this so people can talk about like, what's the difference for example between a healthcare worker not able to return to work without being vaccinated versus a healthcare client a patient a citizen that's awaiting a transplant and i do think there's nuanced differences and i do think they're different stories and and this one rubs me the wrong way i'll be well, honest it's not, it's not, it's not it's for, for, I, I, well, we're gonna argue here that that's fine great uh, we're friends we argue it's not even close to the same it's it, it's a no, that's what i'm saying a, that's what it's I'm a saying. difference with a major major distinction huge some, difference I'm sorry. go ahead yeah no i'm i'm just saying i agree with you it's a bit okay. the, the two All stories right. are completely different yeah 
Oh, see, we on when wind up on the same page after. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, we we cannot be living. I mean, th- think about this for a second. Can you imagine someone has been hit, uh, hurt in an accident? Okay, and the ambulance has been called, and the ambulance uh, can find out uh, immediately uh, through you know a, a computer check whether or not this accident victim has been vaccinated, and the accident victim has not been vaccinated, and so the ambulance doesn't pick them up. Is that the kind of country that we want to live in? And I I would suggest not. And I don't know how interested I would be in entertaining a discussion with anyone who says that nobody is entitled to ambulance service if they aren't vaccinated. I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm out of there. I agree. I'm I'm not against the vaccines. I'm not for the charlatans who are against vaccines. None of that. I am am simply for a country that, yes, has a, a modicum of decency. Not asking for much here. Yeah. Finally, the link, and we don't have much time to spend on this, which is yeah. perfectly fine. I don't know that it needs much time. The link I shared with you, something I wanted to talk to you about, uh, this release, and th- these are a dime a dozen, it feels like. Uh, police in southern Alberta, uh, this is the Lethbridge News Now reporting this, a high-risk offender uh, from southern Alberta has been released from custody. His name is Sean Gerard DeRissio and uh, 43 years of age, uh, Calgary police letting everybody know that after he served two thirds of a 15 year sentence in connection to a series of sexual assaults targeting women and a teenager, all of who were unknown to him. Uh, He's subject to release conditions. They say he'll be supervised by Correctional Services Canada, but the Calgary Police Service says they're issuing this information and warning after careful deliberation in the belief it is clearly in the public interest to inform members of the community of this person's release, uh, which is code for he's probably going to do it again. And the Calgary Police Service says, quote, it wants to enable the public to take suitable precautionary measures, but to not embark on any form of vigilante action. What the hell are suitable precautionary measures uh, when you've got a dangerous sex offender released into the general public. How do you feel about releases like this? Well, here's another deal I'll I'll be happy to make with with Parapolia, okay? If if he can make a promise that nobody who is a sexual assault threat to the public, in other words, nobody who hasn't, uh, there's no demonstration of, of recovery, there's no demonstration at all, that the, the, the person is any less dangerous today than when he was apprehended and he's received a sentence and now he's be get, being let out, you know, two thirds of the way through. If, if if he can guarantee legislation that can pass Supreme Court Charter of Rights muster, if he can if he can do that, I would I would vote for that. You know, it's one of the reasons where I was I was thought of as hard right, because when it comes to crime and punishment, when it comes to this kind of crap, this kind of, I'll just say it, this kind of bullshit, okay? I have very, very little time for people who want to say, oh, no, this guy should be treated like anybody else who has served two-thirds of their sentence. I'm sorry. To, to, to threaten women and girls, and in some cases, boys in any community, uh, for, to, to get to the point where the police have to actually put out a warning and 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 to add insult to injury, the person has only done two thirds of their time. I'm sorry, that too is a country I don't want to live in. If we have a modicum of decency, a 15 year sentence for a bag of dirt like this is a 15 year sentence. That 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 term should mean something. And frankly, if if, if I had anything to do with the law, it wouldn't be a 15 year sentence. It would be a life sentence. Life means life. 
until such time as that person can demonstrate that there has been recovery. And if there is no recovery, that person stays in the goddamn box. Uh, Charles Adler every Monday here on Real Talk. It's nice to see your face. You bet. You can follow Chuck on Twitter at Charles Adler. I'm curious to see what resonates in the live chat. I always like to jump in on that and see, you know, people people are talking here. You know, Mindy, for example, on this transplant story. Do you have, John, do you have a do you have like a strong gut instinct? Do you have do you have like a strong gut instinct on on how you feel about a vaccine requirement? For a transplant, I don't like it. Transplant. It gives me a funny feeling too. Like I get that we all want to be safe, and and I understand that. But that, yeah, if someone's you know needs a lifeline, kind of seems ridiculous. So Mindy says, for example, isn't that like an alcoholic not getting a liver transplant? Yeah, or a smoker and a lung transplant. I saw that right as well. You know, and some and people are saying like that there are uh, other requirements. You know, there there are other requirements. Like Colette, for example, says drinkers and smokers are given lower priority if they don't agree. Uh, to make lifestyle changes uh, per Johnny Wakefield's reporting. So this is Annette Lewis is, is uh, two court challenges. She's lost both of them uh, to be reinstated to this organ transplant list. We don't know the organ that's actually protected by privacy legislation, which is kind of interesting. Um, the premier, Danielle Smith, says, quote, I've been pretty clear. We don't want to see discrimination against anybody on the basis of their booster status or vaccine status. Um, her office has the premier's office has, has refused to confirm whether or not she did take action in the case. I don't think I don't know that you want the premier taking action on that either. That also feels weird. Uh, Ms. Lewis is terminally terminally ill. Uh, she sued Alberta Health Services in 2021 after her doctors told her she would need she would require that covid vaccine in order to maintain her place on the transplant list. Uh, she's up to date on her other vaccinations, but has refused the covid vaccine. Uh, it was Paul Belzil, Justice Paul Belzil, Court of King's Bench. Always feels weird to say Court of King's Bench. Uh, he shot down the initial court challenge back in July, saying there was no evidence that the COVID vaccine requirement, which is intended to reduce mortality in patients whose immune systems are suppressed, makes sense. The, my position, the position of this show is that the vaccine works and you should get vaccinated. Let's be clear about that. And it makes sense that uh, Medical professionals would believe that medical patients who are experiencing suppressed or compromised immune systems should be vaccinated. Uh, but Justice Belzil did not agree that it was a government policy that should be subject to charter scrutiny. And he said that the uh, subjecting the judgment of trained medical professionals to such scrutiny would lead to a system of, quote, medical chaos with endless judicial review of clinical treatment decisions. It's a really interesting story. I don't know. I mean, you can feel strongly about it. I feel like mine is kind of like, I don't know, Johnny, maybe we feel the same on this a little bit. Is I just, there's something, there's just something about it that just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, Justin says, why are we all of a sudden okay with making exceptions for people who don't want vaccines? You know, what would have happened if the smallpox vaccine or the meningitis vaccines didn't have such widespread uptake? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, is this true? MA on our live chat says it's the same with overweight people being denied knee replacements. My understanding, again, based like I've not been there. This is only my gut instinct. My understanding is that physicians will say, like, if you're in line for a knee or a hip replacement, that you should attempt to, if you are, you know, as they call it, medically morbidly obese, that you should do everything you can to lose some weight because it'll be easier on your body as you adjust to the to the surgery, as you recover from the surgery. Obviously, the less weight you're carrying, the better it is for your recovery. Are, 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 are overweight people denied knee replacements, though? I don't know. 
Alicia's bang on. She says this would be a great round table. Talk to those on transplant list. Talk to those whose family members have been donors. Hmm. Doobie is says there are a lot of vaccinated people that need lifelines too. not enough organs to give them out to everybody. The folks that aren't even trying to stay alive. I mean, <laughs> and I get that too. But but if but if you talk to someone and, and I, I know that they don't prefer anti-vaxxer, but if you talk to somebody who's unvaccinated, they would say probably they, they may make the argument that they are trying to save their life, that they believe it to be an, an experimental vaccine or experimental medicine. Again, clearly, that's not the way I feel, but I know I've spoken with enough people that feel that way. I'm sure you have too in your own walk of life. I love this. To be honest, I love this type of stuff where I don't think there's a clear cut black or white. I think this is the area of gray, and I hope, I'm confident that somebody with experience here, somebody with an insight that's more personal, that's more founded, that's more educated than the rest of ours, will be able to send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com and, and, and let us know how you feel about this. I'm just going to roll hot into this next interview, John, if, if that works for you. I don't want to keep our next guest waiting. She's a, This is, this is going to be really interesting stuff. Are you, you familiar with the, the Facebook memory feature you know Mm -hmm. you get this right where it pops up and it says like you know one year ago or two years ago i mean so check this out i just signed into my facebook just to see and and it's given me my memory my story from a year ago there it is i built some lego you know the (laughs) baby yoda and the mandalorian with our little guy must have been a christmas gift last year maybe santa brought it for him and and then we were talking about who was coming up on real talk it had been minus 25 degrees Celsius for three straight weeks a year ago. That seems normal. Seems normal. So <laughs> so that's my memory, but but it's a fond memory for me. I love the memory feature. Building Lego with, with the little guy, right? Mm-hmm. But it turns out, new research out, and our next guest is the expert on this, that, uh, well, the way that the algorithm is designed is actually making life very difficult for, in particular, survivors of gender-based violence. Dr. Nicolette Little is a lecturer with the University of Alberta's Media and Technology Studies program. Uh, her research interests include feminist media interventions in gender-based violence and mediated feminist memory. She advises the Canadian federal government, media, and policing services regarding gender-based violence in media. She's making her Real Talk debut. Dr. Little, it's so nice to see your face, and thanks for making time for us on this Monday morning. Thanks, Ryan. It's my pleasure. Are you are you like a, a pretty steadfast or pretty regular user of social media? I mean, are you on Facebook? Do you have your own Facebook memories popping up from time to time? Uh, I do. And certainly as I was conducting the research, I was actually looking at memories myself to figure out how it worked and walking through it and its different kind of technical affordances. Um, So I am on social media a fair amount. Uh, It's connected to sharing my research and that kind of thing. Uh, But I do have a bit of a complicated relationship with it. Uh, Certainly it's somewhat addictive sometimes. And so I find it good just to pop it away if I'm working on other types of research and get rid of it, you know, send it to the side to focus a little better. Yeah. And I think this is the time of year where a lot of people are doing that, right? They're like uninstalling the apps off their phones. And the New Year's resolution is to spend a little bit less time on social media for a lot of people I know. Absolutely. Yeah. So so this is uh, I mean, this is fascinating stuff. And and, and I want to get into your paper here and and, and get a better understanding of, of how this got onto your radar. But you're you're talking about social media ghosts. Uh, what are we talking about? Who are the social media ghosts? So essentially, I've used the term social media ghosts to talk about when uh, images or posts about past 
exes, people that we've had complicated or even abusive relationships with keep popping up even years later with these memories affordances on sure Facebook, but also, you know, other platforms also have these kind of nostalgic algorithmic driven um, affordances as well. So the social media ghost is really when that ghost of your past gets resurfaced automatically and you unexpectedly are faced with it. And what sort of it, I mean, you, so you, you would imagine that this would have, and it would be a highly personalized experience, of course, but, but for someone uh, that could be the type of thing where, you know, unknowingly or, or, or sort of lazily, you know, just as they do every other day, they sign into their social media and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. The photo of someone, the video of, of somebody for whom, uh, you know, the, the, the memories are far from positive. Yeah, absolutely. And if we look at the rates of gender-based violence in Canada and who's facing it, you know, one in four women report it in a lifetime. And we expect the numbers are quite a bit higher, given that there's stigma and a lot of fear around reporting. So there's a, a lot of women as well as different marginalized groups that face higher rates of violence as well um, that are kind of popping on social media, popping on Facebook and being faced with these images of past abusive perpetrators, exes, um, especially because 80 percent, uh, 80 to 90 percent of um, gender based violence, sexualized violence cases are people that survivors knew and often trusted. So this is like I, I can imagine that someone would hear this story on the surface level and they would say, well, why don't these people just just disable Facebook memories? They can do that. Why don't they just disable it? But but there's there's a bigger picture conversation to be had here and, and i'm hoping that you can take us into the the theory of design justice sure well i'd have to acknowledge the work of dr uh, sasha costanza chalk on um design justice because they're really the the academic who conceived of design justice mm. uh, but i just want to circle back to your your point that you know people can just kind of disable memories or that kind of thing um, it's actually a lot harder than it would seem initially. A lot of people aren't aware that there are different uh, kind of technical things that you can do to shut down memories. And I don't think that Facebook makes it very obvious either. Um, a lot of the settings are kind of displaced and a little bit difficult to manage. And also, if you're a survivor who's just been faced with an image of someone who you know, committed violence against you, um, in some way, there's often quite a triggering that happens and it shuts down even the ability emotionally, even physiologically to take the steps needed to shut down those memories. Um, so I think that social media platforms have to take a lot of things into consideration to make it easier for survivors who might be very negatively impacted by these images to take the steps needed to shut them down. Um, but that being said, the larger concept, concept of design justice is that we can design platforms, uh, technologies and ways that are more equitable and that don't face people with these kinds of experiences in the first place. And so that would kind of be the goal of this kind of research is adding to knowledge and ways we can do that. Um, and also just constantly moving towards a, a design or platform or technology sphere that um, yeah, looks to the variety of experiences out there, understands that they're not all positive and takes those considerations into design. 
we, we kind of have this common theme running through the show today of, of you know, we're, we're grateful for, for, for stories. They're not always good stories. As a matter of fact, oftentimes they're, they're heart wrenching or gut punch type stories, but they give us an opportunity to, to, to explore something we'd not yet thought of. And I, I think that this is the first conversation I've ever had with somebody about like a, a, a trauma informed approach to algorithms. Uh, but it's such an obvious thing to consider. Right. I mean, uh, were you surprised Like when you started talking to participants? Like my understanding is you talked to a number of survivors about this. Uh, they probably had suggestions, did they, on, on, on maybe what they might like to say to people that are designing these algorithms or how life could be made easier for people that are that are trying to, you know, put one foot in front of the other and move on from something very difficult? Absolutely. And it was really sensitive work digging into these interviews because obviously there's a range of really difficult experiences ranging from, uh, you know, physical violence, domestic violence, sexualized violence, emotional abuse, um, all these things that made seeing those past intimate partners um, troubling as they came up and re were regurgitated on Facebook. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it was, it was sensitive work to, to conduct these interviews. But the participants had some really great suggestions. So uh, one was having um, social media users, users have to opt in in the first place rather than opt out. Right. So Facebook has been structured in a way that you're automatically opted in to receiving Facebook memories. And some of the suggestions were that we could, uh, for example, have a warning come up that not all memories are positive ones. And if there are ones that you know are in your past that you may have posted about at some point, then you might want to think about whether to opt in, mm. right? And also education could be part of the opt-in process. Uh, how to shut down memories if they impact you negatively. Um, how to turn off memories. So ways of learning more about the platform before you start using its memories affordance. Um, also something that was suggested was that there was a very obvious way of closing down immediately a memory that comes up that's problematic. So for example, a big thumbs down uh, symbol mm. centered on the memory could allow a survivor to shut it down immediately. Um, I mean, hopefully before they go into a triggered state and re-traumatization, which once that happens, you're in sweats, you're in panic, um, you're emotionally shutting down. Uh, re-traumatization and triggering can be very severe for those with PTSD and who are susceptible. And uh, so that kind of large centralized symbol with an immediate shutdown capacity would be useful. And it could also signal to the algorithms what kinds of past posts shouldn't come back up again. Hmm. This this doesn't necessarily have everything to do with what we're talking about. But, you know, I, I was reminded this weekend I saw something absolutely heartbreaking. I'll share it with you. I don't know if you saw it yet. Uh, Lisa Gilling, I don't know her personally, uh, out of Airdrie, just outside Calgary, recently lost her son, Ryan, 20 years of age, to an aggressive form of cancer. Um, and, and you think of like, oftentimes the way that technology works or the way that algorithms work and how they can make life so much more painful for someone experiencing loss. So she shared this on Twitter. Uh, people can follow her at Lisa Gilling AB. Check this out. So she's driving to her her son Zach's game and uh, Coolio, her, her son Ryan, the nickname, his, his phone, you know that the the Apple tags and you leave your phone behind or your backpack or your keys, you leave it behind and then it'll pop up on your phone to notify you to notify if you've forgotten your backpack or if you've forgotten something. Um, it's her son, Ryan's phone and it popped up on her screen 
Um, her phone was still active on his old phone. And the notification center, which what would typically be a, a rather benign notification, you know, heads up, you've forgotten your keys, um, in, instead reminded her that his phone, her son's phone, this device no longer detected near you. It was last seen near home. And of course, she just, it's going to make me cry right now. I mean, she just burst into tears. And uh, and that just to me, and knowing that I was going to be talking to you, I just thought, man, sometimes, the, you know, with technology and, and, and with the advancements that we make and, and some of the, you know, the things that can that can pop up and, and, and that can happen that can bring joy to us also come with the trade-offs, you know, and in this case, it's, it's heartbreak for her and it's making her life and, and maybe her recovery through this grieving process a little bit more difficult. I thought it was interesting timing. Absolutely. That's interesting. I haven't seen any research on the air tags, Ryan, but Mm. what I have seen is research on, um, you know, a very different kind of ghost also related to loss when, for example, um, in someone's memories, a past photograph of a loved one who's passed away keeps popping up. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, also just really kind of uh, brings back all those feelings of loss, sadness, um, nostalgia, right? So you're right. Absolutely. Technology can do such great things for us. You know, on the one hand, my other research looks at how it can be used to intervene in some of the discourses that support gender-based violence in Canada and what fantastic activists are doing with it. Um, But on the other hand, there are these sort of downsides that we or Silicon Valley don't always think of in advance um, that pop up and can hurt us and that require thinking through and and their own interventions really i'm grateful for your research and and uh congratulations on getting that paper out and and uh we'll we'll have it in our show notes in the description here on youtube in the podcast for anybody that wants to link to it um you can read it you know it's 30 pages or so and and really fascinating stuff doctor thanks for sharing your research with us we appreciate it Thanks so much. Great to be here. Yeah, you as well. That's uh, Dr. Nicolette Little, uh, professor of media technology, uh, media and technology, and, and an expert in gender-based violence. Uh, Sharon, you know, here's an example. Sharon in our live chat says, I'm just looking at my Facebook now. Sad memories today for me. Uh, my late sister entered palliative care. Sharon, we're so sorry for your loss. But then I saw somebody else, Johnny, that wrote in there and, and said, you know, I, a memory warmed their heart the other day. Yeah. It was the, the first time that their baby son was giggling mm-hmm. and the memory sort of took them back. So well, it, when we started this before we did the interview, I said, oh, I love memories. But then as we were talking, I was like, I, I get a few every now and then. Yeah. You know, you know, my brother passed away. My wife's mother. These memories pop up all the time. Yeah. And they can. They can trigger you a bit. They can and it's going to be different for everybody. Right. Tailspin. It's, for sure. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. You're walking into a meeting and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. boom, you're yeah you know your photo of exactly someone mm-hmm. someone pops up so we appreciate the the opportunity to have these uh, conversations um tracy says my mom passed away 10 years ago this week and so all week she says i'm seeing all the photos and all the things that came up that week that i was planning her funeral uh tracy says not traumatic for me but i certainly can see how it could be um Stephanie says, I have a beautiful friend. Her son, Scott, died of suicide four years ago, and she still sees memories pop up on Facebook because they were really uh, prolific with photography and with with posting on Facebook, right? So anyway, really, I don't mean anyway, but really something to think of, and and we're grateful for Dr. Little's uh, perspective there. In just a second, uh, I'm going to bring you one of my, this is one of my favorite positive reflection stories of all time. Mm. Turns out it's actually from 2018, but it's just <laughs> on our radar and, and a real talker by the name of Tina shared it with us and we sure appreciate it. Before we get to that though, wanted to let you know that our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park have a special running all month through the month of January. There, there are six packs, the boxes of Dilly Bars and DQ Sandwiches 
are buy one, get one free. No strings attached. No catch. You buy one box of Dilly Bars, six of them, you get another box totally free. You buy a box of Dairy Queen sandwiches. Guess what? You'll never guess. Yeah, you get the second box totally free at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And don't forget, DQ delivers. You can deliver happy right to your door. Good news is you can get them to deliver the dilly bars, the DQ sandwiches. They, you know, you don't get the driver right at the door. No matter, they're not, they're not melting on you, buddy. DQ delivery. It's the perfect DQ delivery. So dangerous. <laughs> so dangerous, and oh, so good from oh, the Dairy man. Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Also, a huge shout out to our friends at Apex Automation. We we mentioned we were hanging out with them, Johnny and I, this weekend. Saw somebody in the live chat, by the way, said that they saw you and I up on the big screen. Yeah, up on the jumbotron. I'm glad we were behaving ourselves. Well, it was funny because. Like, obviously, we worked there. We were chatting with some of the guys who used to work there. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to throw you up on the screen. We didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think they were and putting us on the screen. out of nowhere, I was like, dude, dude, we're up there. Right yeah, now. I think I had like a mouthful of hot dog, and I was like double fisting strong bows. And, and then the well, text rolled in. The text started, the phone started blowing up. So so anyway, the point being, we love when we are able to hang out with, you know, the the, the leaders, the, the business leaders that are the faces of these companies that we do business with. And and it was really excellent to be able to check in with Adam and, and Tanner and, and understand how that business is growing. Apex is expanding. They're opening their Saskatoon office. In just a short while, which is great, they're going to have 20 team members out there in Saskatoon. These field offices popping up everywhere as Apex continues to grow the reputation, making waves across North America. The work that they're doing in engineering, fabrication, and automation. If you're a professional engineer looking for a change of pace, maybe a new opportunity where your time is truly valued, check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca today. And a big shout out to our friends at Local Environmental Services. They were at the game on Saturday night as well. Keep it local in Alberta and Saskatchewan with garbage recycling collection. But more than that, especially in White Court and area, water hauling. They're doing landfill services, vacuum trucks, fencing, portable toilets. They do it all and they care. They care more than the big multinational corporations. When you call their phone number, a human being picks up the phone. What? You can, yeah, I know. I know. Can you believe it? You can even get to know them by their first names, like Mikel and Lauren and Chris. You can check out their team. Find out who they are by clicking on the Who is Local link on their website at localenvironmental.ca. Every Monday, we wrap up our show. Thanks to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. There were a few Kubi Energy personalities here in the studio after the game on Saturday night as well. Were, Always nice to there see. There were a lot of people in here. Yeah, there were a lot of people in here, including the team at Kubi Energy. And uh, man, did they ever put a smile on our face. It, it makes sense, of course, that they're the title sponsors of Positive Reflections every Monday. The stories that really, quite frankly, make our day. And uh, Tina, you made our day today. She sent us an email, Tina did to talk at ryanjesperson.com. She said, this is perfect for positive reflection. She says, have you heard the story of Hal Vaughn and his daughter Pierce? And and I had not. And so we looked it up and, it, okay, so the story's from 2018, but who cares? That's irrelevant. This is an amazing story. A guy by the name of Mike Levy posts on his Facebook. He says, I had the pleasure of sitting next to Hal on my flight back home. His, his daughter Pierce was our flight attendant. She had to work over Christmas, right? So Hal decided he would spend the holidays with his daughter. So he's flying on each of her flights today and tomorrow across the country to spend time with his daughter for Christmas. What a fantastic father. There he is, the proud father. And, uh, of course, his proud daughter, Johnny, he bought tickets on six 
flights. I saw this story too over the weekend. Isn't this so great? It's like re-emerging. It's popping up and, and it's actually got more than uh, this This guy, Mike Levy, his Facebook post, I checked it this morning. It's been shared like 29,000 times. So it's no wonder that we're seeing mm. it all. But obviously the Vaughn fa- uh, family has uh, wonderful Christmas traditions as many do. And Hal didn't want his daughter to be alone. So he literally flew over Christmas Eve and into Christmas Day six different times with his daughter so they could be together in the air. I'm smiling so big my face hurts right now. I love this. And, and, and hey, shout out to Mrs. Vaughn as well. To Shout out to, to Pierce's mom who ostensibly was without her husband and her daughter on Christmas so they could make this happen. You have to assume it would just be cost prohibitive to buy two tickets times six. Yeah. They said that the Christmas miracle, the real one, was that whenever they were able, Hal was upgraded with available seats uh, into first class. So he and his daughter could spend even more quality time together. We absolutely love this story of a parent's love for their child. We know that so many of you can understand exactly what Hal was thinking. Money, no object. When it comes to spending time with your daughter on Christmas, Positive Reflections is presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Hey, have you been paying attention to this story uh, about this uh, chat GPT, you know, this AI, this artificial intelligence that that it's it's essentially composing content? Well, coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to talk to a Princeton University student. Now, this guy spent his New Year's designing an app. This is super cool stuff. And Edward Tian's going to tell us all about it. He developed an app that's going to help university professors detect whether or not AI wrote term papers. Yeah, that's right. He's trying to combat plagiarism using AI. Should be fascinating stuff. We'll get to that on Tuesday's Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. Make it a great Monday. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.